standby. Hello. Thank you for choosing the Lackadaisical Libricubiculars podcast. Without further delay, here is your host, Jordan Maywood. Hello. Welcome to the Libricube. My name is Jordan Maywood, and I am the Lackadaisical Libricubiculars. Today, my friends, is for Video Games Day. Combining the best of Thursdays and video games, yes, you guessed it, for video games day. When you tell your friends about this, and I know you will, you're really going to want to hit that for thusly. On that note, something I like to say at the top of every show is that if you like what you hear, the only payment I ask is a million dollars. Oh boy, no. No, no, no. That is ridiculous. The only payment I ask is perhaps you pass the podcast on to a friend. Perhaps you rate, subscribe, and comment in iTunes, as that is what helps others find the podcast. Another thing I like to say to cover my ass like so very, very much underwear is that there will be... Spoilers, folks, please, take heed of this warning. I do not whatsoever try to censor myself unless it is easy to do so because as i always try to tell the kitties listening if work is hard do not do it that will of course take us into our last piece of podcast related news, which is today's sponsor which is many witches in this which is oh there's another one sam and max Freelance Couples Therapists. Once again, today's sponsor is Sam and Max Freelance Couples Therapists. Thank you to them. That is kind of you. You kind, kind dog and rabbit. I have one, two, three, four goddamn video games today in this episode. That is a lot. The reason for that abundance is because, and I've mentioned this on more than one occasion, that my sort of video gaming uh, pattern, if you will, is that I will purchase a game. In this case, it was Grand Theft Auto V, which you can go back and have a listen to that extended review if you so desire. I like to think that episode came out pretty good. And then, over the course of my playing this purchased game, which in a case like that took me quite a few weeks, I believe three or four, uh, my free games will accrue. My PlayStation Plus membership means that once a week I will have free games available for download. For free, did I mention? (laughs) So I'll sort of download them but won't play them until I'm finished with my purchase game. So this is sort of cleaning out the cupboard of all those games that piled up during that Grand Theft Auto V timing. Speeding down the road. Game the first. Oh, uh, you know what? I put a little note here that says, Note, Terraria. Terraria is another game that I played on the PlayStation. Was it free? I can't remember if it was free or not. Anyways, Terraria, love that game. I gave it a 5 out of 5 on the podcast, and it is very, very recently available on the iPhone. So I just wanted to point that out because uh, it's fun. 
and good, and I like it. If you care to, you can go back to listen to the Terraria review I did on the podcast to get an idea of what it's all about. I will say that the controls on an iPhone are not as good as they were on the PlayStation, or I assume on the PC, duh, even. And another sort of downside, which is a pretty big downside that I'm hoping they'll fix, is that I don't think, and unless I'm an idiot and don't know how to access it, I don't think they have a map available on the iPhone version. So this game without a map is potentially much, much more difficult to sort of getting around. And you'll know what I mean. Once again, if you listen to that past review thing. Okay, so, uh, first actual game. That was just a little note I wanted to pass out. Passing notes. See me after class. Oh boy, first game is called Poker Night at the Inventory. Two! That is Poker Night at the Inventory, and this is apparently number two in the series. Uh, this is a game I have heard of and looked at with interest and have since played, and that interest has to certain degrees and in certain areas faded. It is a game in which you will play poker, and for me that is kind of the downfall of this game, just in that I'm kind of, I do believe, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, a little over the whole poker thing. There was a time in my life where played it every single weekend, and sometimes played in sort of 12-hour stretches, and I don't think addicted was the right word, but very, very much enjoyed it. And now I'm kind of like, if someone asks me, do I want to play poker? I'd say, eh, you know, there's many other things I'd rather play than poker. <laughs> uh, I just drove by a, uh, a mechanic shop, as I do every day on my way to work, and they had an old sort of beat-up convertible out front, basically just a, a rusted-out shell, and inside that shell were sitting three skeletons. So, you know, that makes me laugh, so I mention it. Back to this her video game. Things I like about this game, <laughs> excluding the poker, unfortunately, is that you are playing poker with famous fictional characters. So very, very good idea. It's just, for me, unfortunate that the underlying gameplay is just sitting around playing poker, which has lost its fun for me, for the most part. So, uh, I think if they used this formula on other games, games that I would like to play, uh, you're going to have a win-win-win-win-win-win. And that's many wins. I may even go back and revisit this game, just for the reason that it's kind of a good just-killing-time game. So uh, let me tell you some of the fictional characters that you get to play with. First is Brock from a television show called Venture Brothers. It's a show I actually have not seen, but uh, have always heard good things about. He is voiced by Putty, David Putty from Seinfeld, or The Tick, if you prefer. Uh, oh, shit, what's his actual name? <laughs> I forgot to write it down. Um, oh, he's done a million voices in a million things, and you will recognize him if you see him. Putty, Seinfeld, you know, that guy. Oh boy. You also play with Sam and Max, or more accurately, Sam of Sam and Max. They are from a cartoon, I guess, was it in the 90s? Anyways, these are a couple of crazy motherfuckers, these two. 
They are the freelance police. One is a dog and one is a rabbit. Or kind of a rabbit. Almost a, a rabbit. As in from the raving rabbits. And the rabbit is a psychopath. And the dog is equally insane, but hides it better, I would say. <laughs> and uh, I used to love that cartoon. And it was nice to play a little poker with with uh, with Max Well. Oh, shit, am I getting him backwards? <laughs> no, Max is the dog, right? Yeah, that makes sense. No, no, Sam is the dog. Oh, boy. Anyways, it's early in the morning, and if I have that bass backwards, apologies. Anyways, you'll play the dog, and you'll get some color commentary from the rabbit. Mm -hmm. Next is Claptrap. Claptrap from the Borderlands series. One of my favorites of the Borderlands NPCs, or non-playable characters. Uh, a smart-ass little robot dude. <laughs> One of the points that sort of came up in some of the hands that were dealt was that he was actually cheating using his one eye, his mechanical eye sensor thing, the bastard. And then last, but certainly not least, in fact most, is Ash. As in Ash from the Evil Dead series. Ash, who the actor who played him in the movies was Bruce Campbell. However, in the video games, they got a sound-alike. That being said, I did, uh, just to double-check, because I wasn't 100% sure, have to... Google the, to see if it was a sound-alike, and, and it was. But he's, he's pretty spot-on, pretty spot-on. I'll, I'll give him that. So yeah, you're sitting around playing cards with these folk, and the reason that it's not just that as a game and is a little more interesting is that they'll be having conversations with one another and telling stories and shit like that. So that adds a, a very, very good layer of interest to a game that... If it was just sitting around playing poker, it would be quite boring. For me, for me. I do believe that uh, once you sort of start winning, you unlock things, such as other players that you can play with. Uh, I think that's something that happens down the road in this game. I didn't have the patience to find out. Something else that was kind of cool is that the dealer is GLaDOS. <laughs> GLaDOS from the Portal series, so they did get her voice. That, that was good. And uh, this is all sort of like in an underground poker place, poker bar. Oh, at the bar is Mad Moxie, bartending Mad Moxie, also from the Borderlands series. So a uh, very, very cool idea. The, the idea of this game is genius. I, I, I will definitely say that. The follow-through of the playing and the telling of the stories, also just top-notch. The actual poker, if you like poker, will be good. If you do not like poker, will not be good. For that reason, I will give a convoluted rating. For me, it's not a game I don't think I could sit and just play, so I'd go like a 2, uh, and that's kind of being generous for me. But... If you like poker, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you give this like a 5 out of 5. If you like the game of poker. Ooh, okay, how about that? Okay, moving on to games 2 and 3, which I am combining in one discussion. Why am I doing that? Because the games are Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. 
uh, Shadow of the Colossus, the quote-unquote spiritual successor to Ico. These are games that were available for the PlayStation 2 and just recently became available on the PlayStation 3 in the PlayStation Store. And if, like me, you are a member of PlayStation Plus, you get them for free. Hey, these are games that, when they came out, were sort of, by the critics, just critically acclaimed. And they sort of gushed and gushed and gushed about them. And games that, unfortunately, not too, too many people actually, factually purchased and played, and uh, say I was one of them. They were always on my radar, and I thought I would eventually play them, so I guess now that is proving true. However, these are games from the PlayStation 2, so there are some things that I think in the intervening years I have gotten used to and no longer have the ability or patience for. Not so, so much in Shadow of the Colossus, but definitely in Ico. And those things are, well, the main thing. Why don't I just say the main thing? The main thing is, at a point in Ico, a point where I stopped playing, I died. Okay, that's going to happen in a video game. Nowadays, you die and you get right back up on the horse and you're good to go. In Ico, I died in 20 to 30 minutes. So probably closer to a half an hour of gameplay that I had just finished, I would have had to redo totally. Now, there is no reason for that to exist. Punishment for a death in a video game, sure, there's some warranted thoughts behind punishment of death, right? However, for me to redo a half hour of gameplay that I had just done, it just doesn't make any sense. It's just incredibly frustrating, and I've done it. I don't want to redo it. Uh, it just doesn't make no sense. No sense was made. And I think that is something that has sort of been phased out in the intervening years, that that doesn't really happen anymore. It may happen, but never to that degree of literally like a half an hour of gameplay having to be redone. It just, uh, I keep saying it again because it boggles my mind. These games, similar, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of in theme and look and music and maybe even a little bit story, uh, kind of a, almost an Asian themed. In uh, Ico, it's very much a, uh, you're solving puzzles, you're doing some platforming which is difficult because the camera angle is pretty horrible in both games. Uh, the camera control and angle and things like that is just frustratingly fighting with it at all times. And in Ico, it's sort of famously known as a uh, sort of one long escort mission. You are a young boy who is sacrificed, let's say, and find yourself in a temple where you come across a girl, this girl who you help escape from this giant temple and constantly have her at your side. In fact, you're even holding a button, and when this button is held, you're holding the girl's hand and sort of racing through the temple temple and completing puzzles to open doors and blah, blah, blah. So bad guys will try to grab her and pull her into the shadows, the shadowy bad guys that sort of our shadows and pull into black holes kind of thing. 
Uh, very, very cool art si style. I don't know if it's been sort of up to come on over to the PlayStation 3. If it has not, uh, it's a pretty beautiful game. Sort of a kind of sort of sh cell shady look, but kind of, a little bit. It's not super realistic, but uh, pretty to look at, which I think is more important than making things realistic. It kind of, for me, both of these games, in fact, had a little bit of the feel of the video game journey, which I talked about on this podcast and gave a 5 out of 5 to. Now, when we move over to Shadow of Colossus, it's a whole sort of different animal, kind of similar feeling in themes and appearance and story, weird story that I'm not going to get into stories because I don't have time and they are weird and actually kind of somewhat unimportant. However, in Shadow of the Colossus, something they've done and this game is sort of famous for it, it's almost as if it's you are traveling around this world from one giant boss fight to the other. And when I say giant boss fight, uh, I mean goddamn giant. Hearing of this game way back when, when it came out, uh, I, I always heard talk of the sort of sense of scope of these colossi that you were going against and battling, and always kind of took that with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, bad guys sometimes are really big. But playing this, and this is the game for the PlayStation 2, I don't think I've ever felt that the bad guys I have been fighting have been as large as they are in this game. Just incredible. I, I think you feel it the most when you are coming up to them, when you see them from a far distance and start making your way towards them, and you're making your way, and you're making your way, and you're making your way, and you get to them, and you are the size of maybe one of their fingers, and you have to sort of climb aboard, which is not always an easy task, getting on top of them. And then I think my biggest gripe of this game is that you're holding on and climbing up these, and you have a meter that measures your grip strength, that when, it's, that when the meter is, you know, filled, that will mean you're going to fall off this giant bad guy. Uh, my gripe there is that I wish... And maybe this is just me not being used to the difficulty of games from back in the PlayStation 2 era. Uh, I fell off a lot. <laughs> but, as they say, when you, when you fall off the Colossus, you gotta get right back up and jab your sword into the glowing areas. Uh -huh. I guess since I'm at work, I have to stop talking of this, and we'll save the, uh, the last game for last, because that makes sense. For ratings, I'm gonna go Ico... Uh, I'm going to have to go like two to three. Yeah. Just for it's not being able to replay a half hour of gameplay that I just played. Uh, I could say that the gameplay that I did play was fun, and I would potentially give it higher if that fact did not exist. Yeah. Convoluted rating, I know, but that's just what I goddamn do. Shadow of the Colossus. Sharing a lot of the, the, the same things of Ico, including some of its problems. But much, much more fun, and battling these things was pretty amazing. For them, I will say four to five. Yeah, four to five. Good, solid, sense of scope like you would not believe. Folks, i got to go in and do eight hours of work, so I will be back in eight hours. For you, it will seem like less as I will edit out the eight hours of me working. You're welcome. Love you, Jerry's. I'm a fool to do your dirty working, working, working. And we're back. We are back! 
We are back. We are back. We are back. Back. We are back. Back in action. Hello again. Eight hours of work. Done. Ski. Done ski. Yeah, we're going to combine the word done and the word ski to, 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 to equal done ski. Why are we going to do that? I don't know. I don't know. Probably our safest bet at this point is to jump right back in to our video games day without further preamble, because apparently my preambling is nonsensical. Ah. Okay, left off, speaking of Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, a little interest on that is that there are potentially, there is potentially a third game in this quote-unquote series that has been in the works for a very, very long time. An extremely long time. We're talking Duke Nukem Forever long time. It is called The Last Guardian. Uh, this is a game that kind of people who play video games are yearning for. They're getting their yearn on. And uh, repeatedly had dates sort of thrown out by the company making these games that have come and gone. So what I thought I would do, and I even made myself a little note to do this, is to have the title of this episode to be something along the lines of um, leaked official release date of The Last Guardian. <laughs> because that combines two things. It is funny for me, and it is very, very mean. <laughs> but it sometimes mean and funny is a good thing, and I'm hoping this is one of those cases. So, uh, combining meme and funny and potentially nerdly video game folk who um, want to know of the release date of this video game will listen to this podcast. They'll be pissed off, obviously, that I am yanking their chain. However, potentially, some of the people who are pissed off will also be like, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. He got me. And, and say it kind of like that. He got me. And then maybe continue to listen. So, you know, that is my theory. And that is goddamn well what I'm going to do. Uh, I have one more game. Hey, this is uh, probably one of my most jam-packed Hearth video games days I've done in a long, long time. But that'll happen from time to time when things accrue. Things such as a little game called... Kingdoms of Emelur, colon, Reckoning. Uh, yeah, that's a title. That's a definite video game title there. There's no denying that. This is an interesting game for a lot of reasons, and unfortunately not necessarily the gameplay. Uh, it was a game that I think had a little controversy around its opening, its releasing, I mean in that before it was released, quite often video game review sites and peoples will get copies of games and then review them so that people can see what games are, go are reviewed before they come out and, you know, make their decisions to buy. I have done the same thing, uh, based my purchasing of video games based on reviews. I use GameSpot to do that. I use Adam Sessler to do that. So, in this case... The reviews were glowing before the game came out. And then the game did come out. And then people got their hands on it. And the reviews were not glowing. Hmm. 
shady, perhaps, shady dealings going on. Uh, what you should know of this game is the producers and creators of it are none other than EA, Electronic Arts. Electronic Arts, who are known within video game circles and I think within business circles as a whole, as being a kind of a shady, underhanded, no-good, money-grubbing company. <laughs> Not to pussyfoot around it too much. So the potential exists, and many, many believe, that these reviews that came out before this game came out were paid for by the EA company. Now, nothing's ever been proven, and this is all just hearsay. But, you know, you're putting two and two together here. It's going to, quite often, make four. This game, I probably, with that kind of in mind, would not have purchased, would not have gone out of my way to play. However, it's free! Hey! <laughs> and uh, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth, or I suppose you can, but you shouldn't, for some reason. It's bad breath. I, I guess. I, I don't know what that means. And once I started to kind of look into it a bit, this game has a lot going for it. For example, uh, Ken Rolston, who has worked and produced games such as The Elder Scrolls, uh, Morrowind, as well as Oblivion, which are two awesome, awesome games. I didn't really play Morrowind a huge amount, because I actually kind of weirdly got Morrowind after I got Oblivion. Oblivion I played the shit out of. Love that game. So that's some good uh, for video games day role-playing game in a fantasy setting. Good pedigree right there. Then, you add on to it the fact that uh, Todd McFarlane did some of, I imagine not all, but some of the artwork and probably mostly, if I had to imagine, focusing on the character creations. Because if there's one thing Todd McFarlane does amazingly, it is the creating of cool-looking characters. Cool-looking and freaky and monstery and just awesome shit like that. Uh, Todd McFarlane, I actually have a bunch of his... Uh, what would you call them? Action figures? Uh, I suppose you could call them action figures. They are... Uh, I've got Humpty Dumpty which is sort of this, like, grotesque blob oozing with pus and guts. Uh, then there's Little Red Riding Hood and uh, the wolf. Little Red Riding Hood is, like, this sexily, scantily, red leather-clad broad holding the wolf whose guts are all fallen all over the place. So you can sense a theme kind of here of Todd McFarlane's ability of character creation. Also, creator of Spawn. I think is probably most noteworthy known for that. And then, to round it out, the trifecta, this world in which this fantasy game takes place was created by Mr. R.A. Salvatore, or Salvatore, if you prefer. Salvatore. Uh, R.A. Salvatore. It is easy for me to say that R.A. Salvatore is one of my favorite authors, Hands down, no questions asked. I've probably read uh, R.A. Salvatore books, definitely into the double digits. And if we count books created with his characters, easily dozens and dozens, and played video games such as um, Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, <laughs> uh, 
just just an, an amazing figure in the fantasy universe that I like to quite often inhabit. So, you're getting these guys together to make a video game. How can you go wrong? Um, it's just not that fun. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how you would do it. I think you should mention at that point that although our A. Salvatore created the world in that these events are taking place, I don't know who wrote the story, and it's just not very engaging, and I'm kind of skimming over great swaths of it and not really caring that I'm doing so. So that is probably something a professional video game reviewer would not do, but that is what sets us apart. On that note, unprofessionally as I do, so I don't forget, uh, why don't I give out my rating? And I haven't completed this yet, but I want to say I'm having enough fun that uh, I'm going to continue on playing this weekend, because there's some, some dungeon-crawly fun to be had. There's, there's no denying that, which I'll get into in a second after my rating of three. Three out of five, which I think like I do for movies, can use for enjoyed while watching or playing, in this case, but probably would not play again. Actually, I think definitely, once I'm through with this game, the odds of me revisiting it are both a fat chance and a slim chance. So, you know, there's that. Okay, let's see what the old notepad has to say with regards to this game. I've probably got about 12-ish hours into the game, so uh, I think it's a pretty substantial game, so I've probably only scratched the surface as far as what can be... Not as what can be done, but as far as story and moving along within it, I assume. There's definitely some good... Uh, sort of classic fantasy role-playing game elements within this game. Uh, I've chosen to do a sort of a rogue-type run, kind of assassin-y, which I, I always enjoy because with that role quite often means you can sneak up behind guys and you'll get extra damage if they don't catch you before you stab the shit out of them with your daggers. And that's always fun. And uh, quite often safer, which for my 31, 32-year-old finger bones means I don't have to frenetically go crazy with the button mashing and what have you, which is another thing I've sort of gathered of this game is that when you start out, you can kind of get away with button mashing, but eventually the bad guys are getting tougher and tougher, and you're going to need a little more strategy to your fights, which I suppose is a good thing. However, with that said, uh, games like Diablo, Diablo 3 and 2, you could, you are, for kind of the most part, hitting buttons, and the strategy may be there as far as potions and what have you, but uh, for the most part, just a button-mashing experience, so it's not necessarily a bad thing to do it one way or the other. The other thing that I think is going to be tough playing role-playing games such as this in the future is that I have played Skyrim. We have all played Skyrim, I imagine. If you play video games and have not played Skyrim, you are doing it wrong. You need to play this game. It is a game everyone should play, regardless of what type of games you should... what type of games you like, you should play this game. So, with that said, because I have played Skyrim, I know what a fantasy role-playing game can be like. So, playing this makes me yearn for that so, so very much. 
it just doesn't stand up in sort of visual looks. Uh, to, to be fair, on the sort of visual side of things, they didn't try to go for a realistic look. It's a little cartoony-ish. Again, not necessarily a bad thing. I think with the story in mind, and I'm going to try not to touch at the story at all for the reasons that it's not very interesting and not really important to our talk here, but with the story that they're doing that sort of strays into dark territories, the fact that the look and feel of the game is quite often bright and sunny and little on the cartoony side is not sitting well together. They just don't seem to fit. And what I've seen, which is kind of a letdown for the reason that when I've seen some of the shit that Todd McFarlane has created and some of the dark and gritty and oozy and horrifying creations he has, and then see them in this, where they're kind of a little on the cartoony side, uh, I feel a little let down. Hmm. You have your typical role-playing game leveling to do, and it's kind of skill tree-like, nothing to blow you away, nothing horribly wrong with it, it's not broken, but uh, there's definitely people who have done it better, and people who have done it the same and probably not many people who have done it worse. It's just kind of a sameness of leveling up and skill trees and realizing that you've put points into things that, now that I'm a certain point into the game, would perhaps not have chosen to put into, which is always uh, what you're kind of working with there. That's why I don't like the thought of when leveling up a character that what you have chosen is set in stone for the rest of the game. Uh, I think, you know what, back to Skyrim, I think they did it a very good way in that throughout the entire main game, your decisions were set in stone and that's it. You had no choice but what you chose. Your, your choice is your choice is your choice. However, once you got into a little of the DLC, they did, at one point, if you reach a certain point in the story, give you the option to uh, mess around with things you had chosen already, which I think is a brilliant idea because it can and did open up a whole new level of gameplay that did not exist and just made it fresh and exciting and new uh, and made me want to go back and start going in dungeons that I had already been in. Well, not that, but uh, go back and start exploring with all these new powers that I had traded for my old powers. So do it that way, video games. Okay, so spoke a little bit about the gameplay, which is questy. You go up, talk to a person, they'll give you a quest, you go do it, you'll come back. The end. A lot of that. Yeah, very, very, very much of that. The traveling, that was one thing uh, that this game does not have that's, it's hard not to compare it to Skyrim. I didn't mean to compare this so much to, but uh, I feel like I have to in a case such as the gameplay of traveling the world from one area to the other. In Skyrim, hell, sometimes you'd find yourself just wandering around for hours. You just pick a pick a mountain peak and say, you know what, I'm going to walk to that mountain. And you'd have fun getting there and doing shit along the way. Here, it's kind of a chore, the traveling from one area to the other. And uh, that is not good, because in any game... The traveling from point A to point B is a large part of your game. So, yeah. 
just about at home, so I'm going to have to wrap this up just by saying I kind of feel like I've said a lot of negative things, but uh, I have had fun playing it and am going to continue to play it, so uh, I don't want you to think this is the worst game ever made. It's just so many things that have been done before, so, you know, that makes it tough to say good things about it, I do believe. With that, I will leave this episode behind, as I do, when I stop talking. Hmm. I will say one final thing, and that is, of course, it is nice to be nice to the nice. Thank you for listening. We here in the Liberal Cube would love to hear from you. If for any reason you would like to contact us, you can do so via the email address. Mailwood.jordan at gmail.com And now I have a theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory. The best is yet to come and babe, won't it be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine? The best is yet to come, come the day you're mine Live long and prosper.